Hi, this is Buff, and I'm so glad you've tuned into the Grace Church Podcast. I think that because you tuned in, you'll better understand your place in God's kingdom. At Grace Church, we're living out our ancient faith in modern times and believe that these next few minutes will draw you closer to Jesus. To find out more about what's going on at Grace, visit us at graceocala.org. As I begin today, as we begin to think about particularly the gospel reading, Luke chapter 13, and if you want to look at it in your bulletin with me, I'd love for you to do that. I want you to think of somebody in your life, either a a bunch of people or a single person that you know that has decided that Christianity isn't for them. In fact, maybe even gone a step further and said Christianity is wrong intentionally. They made a choice that it's not something that they want to be a part of and that Jesus is not the Son of God. Think about that person or persons. And as you're thinking about them, I know that from my own experience, both with you and just in the world that we live in, there are all kinds of reasons that people choose not to be Christians. That is, a follower of Christ. There isn't just one. There's lots. But with that said, there is one reason that I see reoccurring many, many times over my life as a follower of Christ. It comes up perhaps the most frequently of all the reasons I've ever heard. And it often comes in the form of a question, and it's this. If God is so great, if God is so good, then where is he in a world filled with so much pain and agony? It's a real question. It's a very important question. I bet you've had it on occasion yourself. I know I have. Just recently, I've been listening to some podcasts from a a well-known atheist named Sam Harris. And it's actually him who asks this question. How can an omnibenevolent, omnipotent, omniscient God knows everything, loves everyone, how can he allow so much unnecessary suffering is what he's asked. And because... He doesn't believe there's an answer to that. He has said he believes there is no God. And like you, I have faced those dark moments in my life when I have wondered, God, where are you? Where I have questioned, you love me, but I don't see you here. When my college friend got stomach cancer in her early 30s and died just 10 weeks later, leaving behind her husband and three young children, Or when a child that my wife and I desperately wanted to adopt to make a permanent part of our family was instead returned to his drug-abusing mother. Or when I've had the opportunity to travel through the developing world and see with my own eyes the hollowed-out eyes of children who are dying of disease and malnutrition, living in dust and garbage, and know that there was hardly anything I could do about it. Or viewing, as I have, the mountain of empty shoes once filled by children alive with life at the Holocaust Museum, knowing that their end was so terrible. Or hearing, as we do every year, the cry of Jesus on the cross. All of those things make me wonder, God, where are you in these incredibly difficult situations? And they seem to resonate with the atheist questions that that the atheist question. That is, God, where are you? What are you doing? Are you really here right now? 
And I believe that you've had those moments. Everybody does. And I wish I could very neatly and tidily answer those questions for you, eliminating all doubt and dismay. But the historian George Keenan once wrote, the truth is sometimes a poor competitor with the marketplace of ideas. You see, truth is complicated, unsatisfying, full of dilemmas, vulnerable to misinterpretation and abuse, and it's troublesome because it's complex, and it refuses simplification, but it does not stop the truth from being true. And so, whether we're atheists or agnostic or committed followers of Christ, we need to face this reality of suffering. And in fact, I would argue that how we face that reality depends on a lot, a lot, on what we believe about the reasons for that suffering and how do we get to redemption. Look, if you will, just for a few seconds here at our gospel reading today. Luke chapter 13, Jesus is teaching in a synagogue. That is the church. And there's this woman there who it says has a spirit that has crippled her 18 years. 18 years. Almost two decades. That's a long time. But not so long, in fact, that she doesn't remember what life was like before her crippling. What life was like for living in the freedom from pain and the joy that comes with the ability to do what you want. There was a time when she could go where she wanted to go and do what she wanted to do without carrying this burden on her back all the time. But of course for her, that was a long time ago. The Bible gives us two preeminent reasons for suffering in the world. And the first, I need to tell you from the outset, is not pleasurable, nor is it popular to consider. And it is this. A great deal of the suffering that you and I either have experienced or that we encounter in the world is a result of tragic, wicked, or just stupid human choices. The book of Romans puts it this way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So, from the animal who attacks his neighbor, to the governor who betrays his covenant with his people, to the consumer who buys yet another unneeded item instead of investing resources to feed the hungry, to the companies whose chemicals damage our bodies and the environment, to the governments that feather their own nests rather than providing the most basic of cares to their people. Stupid human choices are the most obvious, the most pervasive cause of death, disease, distortion, and destruction. And if human sin, the stuff that you and I struggle with on an everyday basis, if that could be faced, if hearts and minds could be changed if self-sacrificing love could become the motivating force and not simply the occasional story on Oprah that's then followed up immediately by some other commercial for something that you need. If we could, as Jesus taught in Luke chapter 10, love our neighbors as ourselves, as we wished to be loved, in fact. I wonder, I wonder what percentage of agonies in this world might actually just go away, just be done. Could it really be that simple? That loving our neighbor would actually solve 
so many of the tragedies that we see. As you think about that, let's move on to the the second source of suffering, which is a little more understandable for us, and yet not a lot of satisfaction here. We live in a world with dependable and interdependent physical laws, and there is a downside to that. Hear it again. We live in a world with dependable and interdependent physical laws, and there's a downside to that. So the vast majority of the time that we so often forget about, frankly, we are immensely grateful for cell, cell growth. The vast amount of time, we're very grateful for gravity. The actions of the wind and the water and the way in which the earth plates shift to create mountains and valleys and plains. But it's also impossible in such a world with so many overwhelmingly positive forces that they do not occasionally have an interaction that creates pain. This is what we again see in our gospel reading in Luke chapter 13. The texts say that she was crippled with a spirit, which when you read in the original language says a spirit of weakness. She had arthritis and nobody could explain it medically. But her, commen- her condition meant that she was in bondage. She was held down and unable to function as she had been created. She was stuck in this body that caused her incredible agony. And as I consider her situation, as I thought about it, as I hope you do right now, I started to wonder if our sinful hearts began to be changed, how different would our world be? And it was this fun, thoughtful experiment that I had as I contemplated this idea that if we were just even a little more invested in the suppression of disease in ourselves and in others, what would happen? Would there be a world that we could move people out of famine-prone areas and away from places that are constantly being destroyed by hurricanes and tsunamis? Would there be a way to recover and care for people caught in the confluence of physical conflict like Syria if we were just not as sinful? It's easy to see the suffering that this woman had and rail against God's greatness, against his goodness, even his existence. It's easy because it gives us a scapegoat, someone to blame. Why did this happen, God? This is on you. Why, do you. why are you waiting so long to fix this? But when we take that route, when we go down that road, perhaps all the way to rejecting him, as some folks do, we are still left with the problem of suffering, the problem of evil, and the physical realities of this world that we live in. And that ought to invite us to ask Why? Why do these things happen? Why is there such pain in a world of such plenty? And what's our part in it? Where will we find the power to change? Does it even exist? Is a very important question. And I would argue that these questions are at the heart of Christianity. And that is very good news, brothers and sisters. These questions are the ones that Jesus wants to answer for us. Because, did you notice, he sets the woman free. He writes her body. He takes away her pain. He restores her to the image that God has always had of her. And it's beautiful. That's what God intends for us. 
That's what we can do with each other, for each other, through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not because we, in our own power, are great, but because He is great through us. You see, for centuries, people have stood before Christ and considered suffering and its roles in their life, and we've all come face to face with that at one time or another. When the world would crucify a man who says, love God and love each other, we have to wonder, where is this all going? He came to us to make us whole, and yet we'd rather argue about the rules. We'd rather wonder why things are so messed up, which is why they're arguing here in Luke 13 about the Sabbath. They're missing the whole point. Maybe it's that they don't know any other way than to argue. So that's what they turn to. Maybe it's that they haven't yet realized that they were called to be a part of someone's suffering. Maybe there's another good that comes from standing with Christ in these very painful moments. You see, sometimes the seasons of suffering that we go through, there's no good reason. When even good reasons are just not enough to get us through them. Maybe you're at that place now. When you know that you were called to do something significant, to, commit, to keep a commitment that you've made to Christ, but it's painful, it's difficult to do. You're sweating blood and crying out, God, take this cup from me. He knows. Maybe you've been betrayed or let down by people in your life that you thought you should be able to count on, people who promised to be for you in that time of need and instead you're left crying out couldn't you wait just one more hour with me God knows maybe you've been struck and mocked by your enemies he knows that too or maybe you've experienced the worst agony of all at least the one I think is the worst of all you thought you had an intimacy with God But instead, you find yourself in this place of cosmic pain where it feels like God has turned his face away from you and isn't even there. Where is God when it's you in that world of suffering? The Greek Stoic philosophers believed that history was this endless cycle that always repeated itself and that every so often the universe would wind down and burn up in this great fire. And then when everything was burnt up, it would start over, purified. In fact, some physicists think that that is still true today, that there is this phoenix-like phenomenon with the way that the universe works, originating, expanding, winding down, condensing, and then going bang again. But Jesus, but Jesus said beyond the cross is a day when he would bring one great renewal when the son of man would sit on his glorious throne and everything would be made right that his return would be with such power that the universe the material world that you and i know would be purged of all decay and brokenness all would be healed and that which we thought was lost forever would be found again that's what this god does it doesn't mean that sad or terrible things will not have ever happened, because they will have. It doesn't mean that we will not hurt terribly, 
over the things that we've done or have been done to us. But with the assurance of God, we will know that in the end, the joy will somehow be greater than those things that have once been broken and lost. Listen with me with how the author of Hebrews in our reading today put it. Unlike your ancestors, he says, you didn't come to Mount Sinai, all that volcanic blaze and earth-shaking rumble to hear God speak. No, that's not your experience at all. You've come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, where the living God resides. The invisible Jerusalem is populated by things of throngs of festive angels and Christian citizens. It's in that city where God is judge and where judgments make us just. You've come to Jesus, who presents us with a new covenant, a fresh charter from God. He's the mediator of our covenant, and it sounds pretty sweet to me. But of course, we're not there yet. We're in that waiting place right now. So in the meantime, in the midst of the troubles, which Jesus said would be an inextricable part of this life, where we have to deal with everything from daily illness to catastrophic loss. I want us to stop and ask three questions. Questions that I hope will be a blessing to you. And the first one is this. What suffering is going on right now in the world because of my own sin? And where do I need to ask forgiveness and the power to change? That's the first question. The second question is, what role would Christ have me play in helping others address their suffering instead of just holding my fist and railing against the darkness? And finally, do I dare to trust that even in my own pain, I am not alone? That Christ is present for the good and even still good that is yet to come. I want to close with this. It is a reading from Hebrews. It's actually the one we had last week. And I want to give you a little bit of homework, if I may, and that is to memorize this verse. It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. And I want you to write this on your heart. So when those dark moments come, you can say this back to yourself, because these are God's words to you. Hebrews 12, 2 says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured so much so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let me pray for us. God, I recognize how easy it is for me to lose heart, to grow weary. I know that's true for all of us in some capacity. Lord, for the, for the person here today who right now has lost heart, who has given up, who is going through the motions because they don't know what else to do, Lord, I pray for you to infill them with your spirit, that you would bless them in such a way again that they know that they're not alone, that you can't take away, you're not going to take away that hurt, but you can heal them, you can redeem it. You can make them whole. You can heal them as you did the woman in Luke 13. And God, for, for those of us who continue to look at our world and wonder, God, how much longer, we pray yet again, come quickly, Lord. Make this place your whole kingdom, not the partial kingdom that we see now, but your whole kingdom.
that all might be right and suffering would end forever. In your name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you joined us on our podcast today. We hope that you'll take what you've heard and share it with your community. If you'd like to learn more about our church community, find us on Facebook, on Instagram, or online at graceocala.org. Go in peace.